right, Lord, we thank you for this time together, and we uh, we just pray that we uh, we could keep in mind in our everyday lives have patience with others and and try to be the light of the world that you want us to be. Uh, be with us through this and and uh, and through the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Anybody got a good translation? HSD? Yeah, I just so let's go with that one. (laughs) I I love that translation, man. That's that's the one I got right here. It's my favorite. I've, it's it's basically basically it's uh it's it's pretty close to some of the other ones, but there is there is minor differences that will throw you off big time if you're following along with somebody reading. Yeah, we were we were all over the place last time trying to find our spot. <laughs> I got it pulled up on you version right now. All right. <clears throat> Chapter we in 35. Exodus 35. Exodus 35 to 3820. <clears throat> All right. And it says um, Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. Do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord said to the entire Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing Bring this as the Lord's offering, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, and goat hair, ram skins dyed red, and manatee skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for for the fragrance incense, an onyx with gemstones to mount on the ephod, and breastpiece. Let all the skilled craftsmen among you come and make everything that the Lord has commanded the tabernacle, its tents, and its coverings, its clasps and planks, its crossbars, its posts and bases, the ark with its poles, the mercy seat, and the veil for the screen, the table with its poles, all its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand for the light with its utensils and lamps, as well as the oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil, and the fragrant incense, the entryway screen, for the entrance to the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze gate, its poles and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the courtyard, its posts and bases, and the screen for the gate of the courtyard, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and the tent pegs for the courtyard, along with their rope, with their ropes, and especially woven garments for ministering in the sanctuary, 
the holy garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons to serve as priests. Then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the, on the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the holy garments. Both men and women came. All who had willing hearts brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who waved a presentation offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who had in his possession blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or manatee skins brought them. Everyone making, a, making an offering of silver or bronze thought it as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who possessed acacia wood used useful for any task in the work brought it. Brought it. Every skilled woman spun yarn with her hands and brought it, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were moved spun the goat hair by virtue of their skill. The leaders brought onyx and gemstones to mount on the ephod and breastpiece, as well as the spice and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. So the Israelites brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done. Moses then said to the Israelites, look, the Lord has appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. He has also given both him and Oheliad, Aholiad, son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all work of a gem cutter, a designer, an embroiderer in purple, or in blue and purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen and a weaver. They can do every kind of craft and design artistic designs. We'll stop right there. Like how it starts with the Sabbath command. <laughs> and actually, something interesting that I just found literally this week. I'd never looked up the Strong's definition of Sabbath. Because I just, I mean, you know what Sabbath is. The Bible is pretty clear. But it literally, the Strong's definition gives you um, the definition being intermission. It's an intermission of the week. But that was interesting. I think we have dolphin skins again. Yeah. Let's say manatee skins. Yeah. That's what it says. It says the Hebrews obscure. Well, it says goat skins. Yeah. I saw it. Which we'll look up the strongest. 
click It's probably a foreign derivation, a clean animal with fur, probably a species of antelope. And then it says badger. <laughs> a badger is far from an antelope, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Manatee is far from an antelope. <laughs> There's a vast array of, uh, of leathers here. See this, this right here. The TS-2009, probably my favorite rendition of it, because it just says a ram's, it says, and ram's skin, or skin's dyed red, and fine leather. I got time to start saying it's fine leather. What, is it, what does the net note say? Basically? I'm working on it. Right. He's working on it. The Arabic tuhas or duhas is a dolphin, and so some think a sea animal is meant something like a dolphin or porpoise. Hmm. Um, also says seal skins, hides of sea cows. Porpoises are common in the Red Sea, and their skins are used for clothing by the Bedouin. The word has been connected to an Egyptian word for leather. Okay. Love me some net bubble. You knew I was there. Wondering if it's if. Um, see note on this phrase in Exodus 25.5 that's where I went okay you probably got the same dang bible as I do then the net bible yeah <laughs> yep that's where I went to 25.5 nerds aren't we we'll, we'll just call it fine leather yeah um, Anybody got any thoughts on do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day? Yes. I, I. What does that mean exactly? Because what if it's cold? Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, well, isn't technically aren't isn't if you do anything, dry your clothes or or you can know, turn I light your a candle? In. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because you know, because I like lighting candles. Because it, the, the aroma, the way it makes it smell, the way it makes it feel, can we light candles? Let's start a fire. Well, okay. I think that building a fire was probably kind of involved when yeah. they wrote this. Considered work. Yeah. yeah. What if you got I mean, all your wood? Not, what if you got all your right. wood gathered? It's not really intensive now. No. <laughs> not with pine knot and a big. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think this goes with 1623. Yeah. We talked about cooking. Uh, where's the passage where the gentleman went and gathered sticks? I can't recall. I wish Jimmy was here. Um, my understanding of this, you look at the context. <laughs> What is he talking about the entire passage up until that point? Work, 
work, work, work, work. Mm -hmm. So you're not building a fire to work? No. I don't think it has anything to do with just starting a fire. I really don't. Well, I kind of hoped that that was the case. Because <laughs> that, that would... I well, mean. here in the net Bible, where it says you must not kindle a fire, the note says that... Um, that kindling a fire wasn't itself work, but a preparation for some kind of work. And that is yeah. what they were trying to avoid. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, let's the common sense kind of tells us what we need to know then, didn't it? That's, that's what kills yeah, me well, while Judaism gets it wrong. You, know, you can't turn on the lights. You can't start your car. Dustin what, can't answer this question. You can't answer this question. What do y'all think it's talking about as far as the spiritual aspect? You keep your heart focused. Yeah, on yeah. If you're working, you're distracted. I think also not kindling fire is fighting with people on the Sabbath. Yeah. Hmm. Not starting fights, picking the fight, causing the fire in people. There you go. Keep your underwear picked up off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I don't think I don't think it's healthy to have debates on the Sabbath or, you know, going out there and because I've done it on the Sabbath and it wasn't it was not it didn't feel good. So yeah, um, I heard. Uh... Uh, Zach Bauer did a video one time about when your when your group gets too big on the Sabbath that you're you, you tend to get more debates and things like that happening and it takes away from what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's just relaxing and meditating on the word. That's a good point. I got a question, Mikey. You can't answer this. Can you cook on the Sabbath? I don't know uh, if you're supposed to, but I do. Yeah, I hope so. It's fun. I mean, not like. That's why I mentioned. This, this is why I mentioned Exodus sixteen twenty three. We're gonna go here. Sixteen. I was. I don't do dishes. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow's a day. I won't. I, I'll, I'll typically like, I mean, if we use dishes or something like that, and, you know, something's going harden on it or something like that, I'll rinse the stuff off and all that stuff, but I don't typically do dishes. Yeah, it tells you to cook the day before. No. All right. So I'm going to read this. <laughs> Uh, we'll start in 21. It says, They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. This is the manna. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And set aside everything left over to be kept until morning. What does that mean to you? 
Sounds like you can cook on a Sabbath. I'll even read the next portion. It says, so they set it aside until morning, as Moses commanded, and it didn't smell or have any maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. If you go back up, you remember when they were gathering more on any of the other days. Right. When they'd bring it in, it would breed, it would breed maggots. Right. Some translations say worms. I think maggots is the best translation. Um, so yeah. You know, there's if no direct command that says there's no direct command that says to cook or to not cook on the Sabbath. Some people take it either way. They'll sit there and they'll consider it one way or this way. I don't see no direct command that says do not cook on the sabbath or to cook on the sabbath except the ones commanded um on the feast days which right. the sabbath is technically considered a feast day but as far as um like the actual like passover and all those things there was you know cooking that took place and these are things right. that had to happen but there's no direct command that I have seen in the Torah yet that says, unless someone can show me, that you can can or can't cook on the Sabbath. So I don't fault anyone that takes it either way. If they don't want to cook on the Sabbath, by all means. If they want to cook on the Sabbath, by all means. The main thing I think we, we get away from is we make the Sabbath, um, people can make the Sabbath a burden, I believe, when it's supposed to be about not buying or selling. It's supposed to be about not making your brother or sister work. And it's supposed to be about spending that time with the father and just resting in his word and reading, meditating on it, and just spending time doing those things. And when you get to legalism, that. it gets, it can get, you know, on, it's just not, I don't, and I, there's people I know that are like, I won't, do any kind, I won't pick anything up on the Sabbath. I won't do any kind of cleaning. If I see something that needs to be cleaned up real fast, or if I have company over real quick, I will, I will clean up some dishes real fast. I will wipe my counters off. Like I'm, I'm going to do that. I mean, I'll run my washing machine. I don't, I know some people will get upset about that, but I just, it's not the sad. It is, I don't see in the commands not to do those things. Well, you know, yeah, I, I heard Bear uh, say that. If it, as far as working on the Sabbath, that he, uh, if it makes him go, uh, then he stops yeah. doing it. Yeah. That's what. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Like my yeah. wife on the Sabbath, she does, she does a lot of dishes all week because she's a stay at home mom. On the Sabbath, she don't feel like doing dishes. She's just going to chill and then she'll do them tomorrow. You know, I don't see nothing wrong with that. I mean, she's like, this is something I do every day and I don't feel like doing it today. By all means, relax. You know, I I tend to follow that. What Bear says, that's typically how I look at it. It makes me go, Ugh. you know, you get that little sigh, like, man, I, do I have to do this? And I don't do it. <laughs> and that kind of tickles. Be, I was gonna say that'd be that'd be carrying out a burden. You know, it's not supposed to be a burden. I'm good with there. that because. That puts me in a position uh, during the crop year where I can take off and go look at things, uh, you know, in the comfort of an air-conditioned truck and go look at my 
my soybean water and my rice water on the Sabbath, but I'm not going to do anything that makes me go, (laughs) (laughs) so I'm good with that. Yep. I think it's just fine. I I really do. But I'll, I'll say, as far as this, this command goes, I used to think that you couldn't cook on the Sabbath. Then it was revealed to me by what I can only ascribe to the Father, because uh, I wasn't even, I wasn't even going into the topic. I was just trying to figure out what we were going to do to eat on the Sabbath. And uh, then it was just like, it was like he smacked me in the head and was like, pay attention, boy. Yeah. And then it came to me and I was like, oh, wait a second. You can cook on the Sabbath. And I went to these very same scriptures. And to add to what Micah said, you won't find anywhere in, in the in the Torah. I've looked and looked and looked and looked. You won't find anywhere in there where it says don't cook on the Sabbath. And yep. yeah, so I have no problems cooking on it. I don't condemn anybody for cooking on the Sabbath, but I don't cook on every Sabbath. Like the, I think the past two Sabbaths we haven't really cooked. I'll, I'll I'll make a meal Friday and it typically lasts the next two days, and I think that's you know totally fine. Yeah, we've part eaten that, today. I'll, I'll say part of that's budget budgeting, but <laughs> yeah. you know. <laughs> but I mean, it is what it is, man. I don't I don't see a command not to cook that. That's the only reason I brought that up and the whole fire thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you did because I it was it's been on my mind the last two days because I cooked last night and then we ate leftovers all all day. But I mean, I hadn't grilled them forever and it was fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't finish I didn't finish the spaghetti I made until after sun went down. So I think the whole point is have what you need there. Like the whole point is it's called preparation day. Preparation for what? So that you mm-hmm. have everything you need for that night's meal and the Sabbath meal. You ain't got to go out and gather nothing. You ain't got to go to the store. You don't do none of that. Everything is within your grasp to where you can make, bake what you make, your bake what you bake today on the preparation day. And whatever you don't bake, you set it aside. And the next day you have it for cooking. That's the way that I read that text. Yeah, we need to do better on on preparation. And remember, the, the Sabbath was made for man, uh-huh. not man for the Sabbath. Amen. Provision given to us because God knows how our bodies are and what our human condition is, and we need that rest. And He's just like, do this, get ready, you know, and keep the Sabbath. Yeah, the point is, as you grow in your faith, as you grow in things, you will learn more and more how to get better at prepping for Sabbath, keeping Sabbath, and things like that. So it's a step-by-step process, man. It just takes time. Well, it's, We're there. there's certainly a... Uh, uh, there's certainly something special about it. Uh, it's like, it's, we started it. it's, it's definitely it's real. I mean, don't you don't you think? Oh, absolutely. 
There's something different about the day. There is. When you acknowledge it and you you kind of submit your way of thinking to maybe maybe there's something that I'm missing. Then I did and it's it's really nice. That's what, I think that was the main thing for me too. Like back when I actually started keeping the Sabbath was just something about the day you feel more tired. It's like you it's something in your very being. <laughs> that tells you like, Hey, take a break today. And I don't feel that way on Sunday. Like tomorrow when I get up, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah. what are we doing? <laughs> you know, well, I mentioned, I, I mentioned that before that, that, you know, when we got a small church and, and tomorrow is when you're, you know, I mean, we're in the choir and on boards and all that. I mean, Sunday is a work day. Sunday is work. Um, there's nothing, it's, it's nothing like today. Yeah. Never has been. It, it never has been, to be honest. It's, there's, there, it's a job and I can understand how preachers take Monday off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, you know, Sunday is not, it's not exactly <laughs> relaxing. Oh, yeah. but anyway. Spreading seeds is a lot of work. Yep. Let me go. All right. We're on the 36. 36. <clears throat> it says, Bezalel, Aholiab, and all the skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord has commanded. The Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So Moses summoned Bezalel, Aholiab, and every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom. Can Everyone I, whose heart. Can I pause it for a second? Go ahead. Um, I want to point out right here, it says, the Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work constructing the sanctuary. This goes back to the Father gives us the understanding the wisdom to walk out his commands. No man gave that understanding to them. It was the father that gave it to them. Just filling them with spirit. You can see, I'll just bring that up real quick. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh, yeah, everyone whose heart moved him to come to the work and do it. They took from Moses' presence all the contributions that the Israelites had brought for the task of making the sanctuary. Meanwhile, the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord commanded to be done. After Moses gave an order, they sent a proclamation throughout the camp. Let no man or woman make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. So the people stopped. The materials were sufficient for them to do all the work. There was more than enough. All the skilled craftsmen among those doing the work made the tabernacle with tin curtains. Bezalel made them a finely spun linen, as well as blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, with the design of cherubim 
worked into them. The length of each curtain was 42 feet and the width of each curtain, six feet. All the curtains had the same measurements. He joined five of the curtains to each other and the other five curtains he joined to each other. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the last curtain in the first set and did the same on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. He made 50 loops on, one, on the one curtain and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain in the second set so that the loops lined up with each other. He also made 50 gold clasps and joined the curtains together so that the tabernacle became a single unit. He made curtains of goat hair for a tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 of them. The length of each curtain was 45 feet and the width of each curtain six feet. All 11 curtains had the same measurements. He joined five of the curtains together and the other six together. He made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set and 50 loops on the edge of the corresponding curtain in the second set. He made 50 bronze clasps to join the tent together as a single unit. He also made a covering for the tent from ram skins, dyed red, and a covering of fine leather on top of it. He made upright planks of acacia wood for the tabernacle. The length of each plank was 15 feet and the width of each was 27 inches. There were two tenons connected to each other for each plank. He did the same for all the planks of the tabernacle. He made planks for the tabernacle as follows. 20 for the south side, and he made 40 silver bases to put under the 20 planks, two bases under the first plank for its two tenons, and two bases under each of the following planks for their two tenons. For the second side of the tabernacle, the north side, he made 20 planks with their silver bases, two bases under the first plank, and two bases under each of the following ones. And for the west side of the tabernacle, he made six planks. He also made two additional planks for the two back corners of the tabernacle. They were paired at the bottom and joined together at the top in a single ring. This is what he did with, the, with both of them for the two corners. So there were eight planks of, or eight planks with their 16 silver bases, two bases under each one. He made five crossbars of acacia wood for the planks on the one side of the tabernacle, five crossbars for the planks on the other side of the tabernacle, and five crossbars for those at the back of the tabernacle on the west. He made, a, he made the central crossbar run through the middle of the planks from one run or from one end to the other. He overlaid them with gold and made their rings out of gold as holders for the crossbars. He also overlaid the crossbars with gold. Then he made the veil with purple or with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finally spun linen. He made it with a design of cherry beam worked into it. He made four posts of acacia wood for it and overlaid them with gold. Their hooks were of gold. And he cast four silver bases for the posts. He made a screen embroidered with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely spun linen for the entrance to the tent together with its five posts and their hooks. He overlaid the tops of the posts and their bands with gold, put their five bases but their five bases were bronze. <clears throat> Very detailed. You know what it made me think of? And uh, Exodus in the beginning of Exodus 36 made me think of this as you're reading it. And it was Matthew um, 9, 35, 38 says, 
Then Jesus went to all the towns and the villages teaching and their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord, the harvest to send out the workers into his harvest. And then back here. <clears throat> then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work that they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord had commanded to be done. And it just made me think about the workers are few, but there was plenty to be harvested from. I like that. It made me think of uh, Numbers 11. Is it, you're talking about the, that's why I said the spirit was put on them. It said, I said, the Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. It immediately made me think of the spirit. You know, for some reason, People think the Holy Spirit's just a New Testament concept, and it's not. <laughs> Numbers 11.25 says, Then the Lord descended in the cloud and spoke to them. He took some of the spirit that was on Moses and placed it on the set, or placed the spirit on the 70 elders. As the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they never did it again. Two men had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad. The spirit rested on them. They were among those listed, but had not gone out to the tent. They prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and, and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assisted to Moses, assistant to Moses, since his youth responded, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses asked, are you jealous on my account? If only all the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on them. Then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. Which that makes me think of the account. <laughs> Oh, oh shoot! Where's that? Where uh, the apostles come up to Jesus and say, "People are uh, casting out demons in your name. Should we stop them?" <laughs> if they ain't for it, or if they ain't against us, they're for us. That right there, that passage also um, is one of the reasons that I don't see the Holy Spirit as a third person, not to get into that topic, but I think the Bible's clear that the, that the Father is Spirit or um, the Almighty spiritual being, if you will. His Holy Spirit is literally a part of him. He takes it from him and gives it to people. 
I think the Bible is very abundantly clear about that. Yeah, it doesn't talk about having its own personality. It's his, like, his active force. He's not here with us physically. Yeah, I mean, it's it's given some human characteristics by Messiah, by Yeshua in the New Testament, where he talks about in John 14, it says that, you know, it's better that I go so I can send the comforter, you know, or the helper. But even still, I mean, that's, it's literally, so you're making, to me, it's taken away from the Father and making this third entity out of the Holy Spirit when I think that it's literally the Father sending part of himself to help you. And we have a high priest who is righteous and perfect. He's also able to sympathize with us. And he has... Um, an administrating position to be able to send that Holy Spirit. And I praise the Most High that He does too, because with without that helper, man, I'd fall place. I would fall flat on my face multiple times. So that also infers that it wasn't present while He was here. I think that it was. <laughs> I mean, John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit. Granted, they killed him. And he was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit without measure. I think his point there was it, it's better that he goes so that he, so that he can be in the position to send it as needed. that make sense yeah um i think i might need to do a little bit more research on that anybody else want to chime in Anybody else see it differently than how that I just stated? <laughs> Nobody at all. Somebody say something. Good Lord. I did. I actually have that thought this week that the Holy Spirit was a New Testament thing, but I, you know, it doesn't look like it's the case as far as a calling it the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, but as far as there being a spirit, I mean, it was there at creation, correct? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying is I, I, the way that I view it is that the Holy Spirit's literally a part of the Father. That's why he talks about sending his spirit. You know? Or like he he put his spirit on Moses. Yes. And then he said he took a part of the spirit from Moses and gave it to 
the other gentleman in the camp. I don't see it as a physical representation of a person. I think that that's a part of the, of the father. I think that that's what, and I also think this is where people misinterpret the whole idea of the Godhead. Yep. <laughs> yep that's correct. That's my thoughts too. What I'm learning is that the Holy Spirit is not an entity or being. It's just the power of God. And that's that goes into the Godhead. <laughs> the Godhead just means deity anyway, doesn't it? Uh, it's like, it's the, how is it explained? It's the divine essence of, of the Most High. So yeah, it's like the, the supreme righteousness or, or indwelling, however you want to put that. And it has been transformed into mean something completely different nowadays. I mean, when, so if, let's look, let's put ourselves in the position of these gentlemen in the camp right now, looking at Moses. Moses is the vassal, the agent that is being used by God. Therefore, he's in charge, but it's not really him, it's God. Because if they reject him, they reject God. They have to believe in Moses. Or else they're rejecting God. And we see them get punished for this very thing later on. Right. It's the same exact concept in the New Testament with, with Mashiach, with, with Messiah, Yeshua. If you reject him, you reject the Father. Why? Because he is the anointed one. <coughs> Hebrews, Hebrews 1 states it plainly that you know, in former times, he spoke to us through his servants, the prophets. Now he speaks to us through his son. Right. So the whole idea of the Godhead means while you are in flesh, in, in, in person, submitting yourself to an individual, that individual only has authority through the father. So in reality... You're not submitting to that man. You're submitting to the Father. That's the Godhead. Much, much like denying his son would yield the same result. As denying the Father, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's why I was watching the live actually last night and uh I ain't gonna say who, but the gentleman was making the the gentleman who I watch, <laughs> not as mu not as much lately, but I was watching this live because it was one of the shorter ones for debates because it was one of the shorter ones. But the gentleman wanted him to focus on one passage in the Bible, and he's like, "I can show you this in the Old Testament." He's <laughs> like, "No, just stick to this passage I'm asking you about." <laughs> Like that's not how it should be done. If if you're having problems in the New Testament, then let's go to the Old Testament and see how it was done. Because nothing has changed. It's the same. It's the same thing. You know. That's why I think that the parable of the tenant farmers is very important. Right. Or the the par parable of the vineyard. Right. I like tenant farmers. he says what I sent 
you know, the father sent his prophets, his servants. And they rejected him. And then he said, I will send my son. Surely they will obey him. And they did. They killed him. Yeah. So. All right. We'll go on to 37. And then we got 38 through the chat, uh, verse 20. It says, <clears throat> Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and out and made a gold molding all around it. He cast four gold rings for it, for its four feet, for its four feet. That's a tongue twister. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark for carrying the ark. He made a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. He made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other end. At each end, he made a cherub of one piece with the mercy seat. They had wings spread out. They faced each other and covered the mercy seat with their wings. The faces of the cherubim were looking toward the mercy seat. He constructed the table of acacia wood, 36 inches long, 18 inches wide, and 27 inches high. He overlaid it with pure gold and made a gold molding all around it. He made a three-inch frame all around it and made a gold molding all around its frame. He cast four gold rings for it and attached the rings to the four corners at its four legs. The rings were next to the frame as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles for carrying the table from acacia wood and overlaid them with pure gold. He also made the utensils that would be on the table out of pure gold. It's plates and cups, as well as its bowls and pitchers for pouring drink offerings. Then he made the lampstand out of pure hammered gold. He made it all of one piece, its base and shaft, its ornamental cups, and its calyxes and petals. Six branches extended from its sides, three branches of the lampstand from one side and three branches of the lampstand from the other. There were three cups shaped like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and petals on the first branch and three cups shaped shaped like almond blossoms, each with a calyx and petals on the next branch. It was this way for the six branches that extended from the lampstand. On the lampstand shaft, there were four cups shaped like almond blossoms with its calyxes and petals. For the six branches that extended from it, a calyx was under the first pair of branches from it, a calyx under the second pair of branches from it, and a calyx under the third pair of branches from it. Their calyxes and branches were of one piece. All of it was a single hammered piece of pure gold. He also made it seven lamps, snuffers, and fire pans of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils of 70, 75 pounds of pure gold. He made the altar of incense out of acacia wood. It was square, 18 inches long, and 18 inches wide. It was 36 inches high. Its horns were of one piece. He overlaid it, its top all around its sides, and its horns with pure gold. Then he made a gold molding all around it. He made two gold rings for it under the molding on two of its sides. 
He put these on opposite sides of it to be holders for the poles to carry it with. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He also made the holy anointing oil and the pure, fragrant, and expertly blended incense. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Okay. I, it looked like it froze up. Anybody got anything? All right, chapter 38. We're going to go to verse 20 and stop. It says, Bezalel constructed the altar of burnt offering from acacia wood. It was square, seven and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide and was four and a half feet high. He made horns for it on its four corners. The horns were of one piece. Then he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the altar's utensils, the pots, shovels, basins, meat forks, and fire pans, he made all its utensils of bronze. He constructed for the altar a grate of bronze mesh under its ledge, halfway up from the bottom. At the four corners of the bronze grate, he cast four rings as holders for the poles. Also, he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he inserted the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar in order to carry it with them. He constructed the altar with boards so that it was hollow. He made the bronze basin and its stand from the bronze mirrors of the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Then he made the courtyard. The hangings on the south side of the courtyard were of finely spun linen, 150 feet in length, including their 20 posts and 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands of the posts were silver. 
The hangings on the north side were also 150 feet in length, including their 20 posts and 20 bronze bases. The hooks and bands of the posts were silver. The hangings on the west side were 20 or were 75 feet in length, including their 10 posts and 10 bases. The hooks and bands of the posts were silver. The hangings on the east toward the sunrise were also 75 feet in length. The hangings on one side of the gate were 22 and a half feet, including their three posts and three bases. It was the same for the other side. The hangings were 22 and a half feet, including their three posts and three bases on both sides of the courtyard gate. All the hangings around the courtyard were of finely spun linen. The bases for the posts were bronze. <clears throat> the hooks and bands of the posts were silver, and the plating for the tops of the posts was silver. All the posts of the courtyard were banded with silver. The screen for the gate of the courtyard was embroidered with purple or with blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and finely spun linen. It was 30 feet long. And like the hangings of the courtyard, seven and a half feet high, it had four posts, including their four bronze bases, their hooks were silver, and the bands as well as all the platings of their tops were silver. All the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the surrounding courtyard were bronze. That's the end of the actual tour part of the portion. Mike, are you still there? I'm here. Make sure, sir. I stepped away from it. We were having technical difficulties here. Did you had to figure it out. I get some. Yeah, no, I got my dinner. From... I let top buzz really loud. What'd you say? I let top buzz being really loud in my house. 
You're all right there. Trying to figure out which of these books has what I'm looking for. <laughs> they wouldn't take things out of the Bible. I wouldn't have this problem. We're going to go to second group next, trying to figure out which. Which is here it is. I got it. Baruch, for anybody that is not familiar, is actually Prophet Jeremiah's scribe. I learned something today. You didn't know that? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. Apparently, my wife knew that. So, sorry, <laughs> I, I suck again. I can teach something else. <laughs> teach something else you probably didn't know. Go for it, Mike. The dandelions actually are really good for your heart. Yep. Oh, yeah. And ones that are controlling the uh. The pesticides that kill weeds are the Heart Association. No, it's. I'm sorry, Bear, Bear, whatever. Bear actually owns Monsanto, which made Roundup. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't teach you anything. They used to go out and gather the dandelions in the yard and make dandelion soup, kept them healthy. I like soup. Soup is good. Yeah, sometimes uh, pesticides are a, are a uh, touchy subject because, you know, I've got to use them. I, I, there's not enough labor in the world to, to hand weed 3,000 acres. Uh, nobody wants to work that bad. But uh, I, I don't like them. I may use them as the least amount possible. What do you plant? Soybeans and rice and corn. Nice. I mean, the truth is, is that you acclimate to the soil that you live near. And the things that grow around you are the things that can heal you. Well, I agree. Uh, you just can't pay any bills with them. Oh, no, I wasn't challenging what you were saying at all. Not by any means. I'm just saying, you know, piggybacking on what Michael was talking about and, you know, the corporations mm -hmm. getting in on it. And, you know, they want this whole thing where we're dependent on them rather than what God gave I, us. I wish, I wish there was, I, I feel very strongly that, that, uh, I mean, I agree with that. If we and could I market would, pigweeds, yeah. we'd be yeah. so... There's a ton of stuff that grows 
in my fields that is detrimental to the to the cash crop that's much better for you uh, you know all the things that i'm spraying to kill to to keep beet back so the soybeans can come up uh, a lot of those are medicinal and edible and it's just it's just sickening and then now the uh those corporations also have a have the market cornered on on the technology used um so i you know i'm forced to buy a certain kind of seed and so that i can use a certain kind of chemistry because the chemistry gets outdated and won't kill the weeds you know it's 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 just a nightmare it's just corporate nightmare horrible yeah, and if you if you save seed, if you if I decide I want to save seed so I don't have to buy seed next year, I can go to prison. Are you serious? Oh, oh hell yeah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the um, farmers. I saw his time mom the other day, Mister Jones. He's telling us how they got their hands are tied. He said backyard farming needs to happen everywhere. How are they going to know if you save seeds? They come check from time to time. They can they can take tissue yeah, samples and tell tell what the, what kind of plant it is. And then if there's no record of you buying that seed. Yep. So what yeah. else? Yeah. yeah. Every Same year. Same thing the nursery. They, Every they year. They take yeah. certain cuttings off. They can get in trouble. Wow. Yep. Because they're they're patented. Yep. Yep, sure enough. Now the 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 copy I say copyright. The the, uh, patent. the patent does run out and and you can plant those those varieties. They do kind of backdoor trying to phase them out. But uh but it's the it's definitely uh, manipulated for sure. Uh, wow. And it's it's not to you know, it's not to the benefit of, it's not to our benefit, for sure. That's pretty dumb. <laughs> That's it my only comment. That's pretty dumb. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say it's smart on someone's end. Eric, your land from your family, it's family owned. They're still dictating what you're doing. It's awful. That's correct. That's correct. Um, and because there's not a market for, um, because we eat such crap in this country, there, there's not a market like farmers markets are phasing out. You can't, you, you just can't make a living <laughs> uh, growing things that are good for you. I mean, it's, it's, it's hashtag America. Yep. Go start everywhere. They want us dependent and dumb and unhealthy. Yeah. Also, there's positives and negatives to capitalism. I love capitalism, but at the same time, the people that are mainly capitalizing right now are not the people that need to be. <laughs> no. Keeps the rich rich and the poor poor. Okay, I could get on. That's neither here nor there, though. There's, I promise I'm not doing anything that I don't have to do. 
No, I know. I know farmers got their hands tied. That's why I'm a local farm around here grows potatoes. It feels like more people need co-op farming for food. He's like, we have our hands tied. We can't do much. Then they'll come after the crops. Right as it is right now. Huh? Then they'll come after the Mm -hmm. co-ops. But they don't have, we're not like signing contracts. We're in our hands. We're not tied like theirs. They can't really come after everyone if everyone's doing it. That's yeah. If 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 I could take, I mean, because it, it would take just to feed my my house, I could do it on uh, probably a couple of cows and a, a tenth a tenth of what I actually poke seeds in for a living. I mean, oh, for sure. If you were if you were doing it properly. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. That sounds like back in, and they don't talk about it a lot. It was uh, around World War II when um, they went into the Ukraine to the state took over the farms and they went in and they took people's seeds and they starved them out with their regulations and their rules. Wow. Yeah, I love it. All right, there, Dust Center. Did he leave? All right, right there we go. There you go. 72 and 73. <clears throat> it says, now, hear also about the bright waters which come at the end after those black ones. This is the word. After the signs have come of which I have spoken to you before, when the nations are moved and the time of my anointed one comes, he will call all nations and some of them he will spare, and others he will kill. These things will befall the nations, which will not be spared by him. Every nation which has not known Israel, and which has not trodden down the seed of Jacob, will live. All this is because some from all the nations have been subjected to your people. All those now who have ruled over you, or have known you, will be delivered up to the sword. And it will happen that after... He has brought down everything which is in the world and has sat down in eternal peace on the throne of the kingdom. Then joy will be revealed and rest will appear. And then health will descend in dew and illness will vanish and fear and tribulation and lamentation will pass away from among men and joy will encompass the earth. And nobody will again die untimely, nor will any adversity take place suddenly. Judgment, condemnations, contentions, revenges, blood, passions, zeal, hate, and all such things will go into con- yeah will go into condemnation, since they will be uprooted. For these are the things that have filled this earth with evils, and because of them, life of men came in yet greater confusion. And the wild beasts will come from the wood and serve men, and the asps and dragons will come out of their holes to subject subject themselves to a child 
and women will no longer have pain when they bear, nor will they be tormented when they yield the fruits of their, of their womb. What was that you said at the beginning about the seed of Jacob? Every nation which has not known Israel and which has not trodden down the seed of Jacob. Hmm. Trotted down the seed of Jacob. And there's a lot of. Uh, did, did did you say something about dragons coming out of holes? Yeah, it says the asps and dragons will come out of their holes. Asps would be snakes. Hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I sent you a uh, Job forty-one earlier. I know. <laughs> Leviathan is pretty much a dragon. If it's a sea creature and it's got fins and scales, that's all that matters. And it breathes fire. <laughs> what version are you reading from? This is. The James H. Charlesworth. I'm sure I could have read it out of the supper, but okay. It, yeah, I was just wondering. That's what I, that's the only thing I've got to suffer. It was a little different, but not not really. Yeah, I, I've got the I've got old suit of pictures for like every everything that was in the Bible and removed, and plus stuff that doesn't really find its place in the Bible. Gotcha. There's some interesting reads. Some of it I wouldn't consider scripture, but others I would. Baruch, I definitely do. Ezra, I definitely do, which even the NRSV has Ezra's in it. But other stuff's an interesting read. Bye. Dragon. Huh? I'm thoroughly convinced that Leviathan's a dragon. I mean, yeah. I got some dragons down in my pond. They sound like it. Yeah, they sound like it during mating season. All right, now we're going to go to 1 Kings 7. And it's 40 through 50. It says... Then Hiram made the basins, the shovels, and the sprinkling basins. So Hiram finished all the work that he was doing for King Solomon on the Lord's temple. Two pillars, bowls for the capitals that were on top of the two pillars, the two gratings for covering 
both bowls of the capitals that were on top of the pillars. The 400 pomegranates for the two gratings, two rows of pomegranates for each grating covering both capitals and bowls on top of the pillars. The 10 water carts, the 10 basins on the water carts, the reservoir, the 12 oxen underneath the reservoir, and the pots, shovels, and sprinkling basins, all the utensils that Hiram made for King Solomon at the Lord's temple were made of burnished, of burnished bronze. The king had them cast in clay molds in the Jordan Valley between Sukkoth, or Sukkot and Zarethan. Solomon left all the utensils unweighed because there were so many. The weight of the bronze was not determined. Solomon also made all the equipment in the Lord's temple, the gold altar, the gold table that the bread of the presence was placed on, the pure gold lampstands in front of the inner sanctuary, five on the right and five on the left, the gold flowers, lamps, and tongs, the pure gold ceremonial bowls, wick trimmers, sprinkling basins, ladles, and fire pans, and the gold hinges for the doors of the inner temple, that is, the most holy place, and for the doors of the temple sanctuary. And I'll go ahead and read the next one. So all the work King Solomon did, the Lord's temple was completed. Then Solomon brought in the consecrated things of his father, David, the silver, the gold, and the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of the Lord's temple. King Solomon. Wisest man. That's what they say. Did a lot of dumb stuff. Kind of like us. Be wise, but you can be dumb too. I wish I had a list of all the things, of all the times that I went, man, what did I, what was I thinking? And Dude. then that I could compare it to the list of, man, that was a really good thought. I'm sure the other one would be much longer. I'm t My list would be like for the ones like that was a good thought compared to the ones that was, what was I thinking? I would say the good ones are probably about like, I don't know, one hundred of the bad one. <laughs> yeah, it, it mine too, for sure. <laughs> oh man, I am mm. even this walk. I'm I'm just looking back and I'm like, ah, that was dumb. That was dumb. But yeah, I was putting a light switch. No, I mean a plug in and in the shop to, uh, yesterday, two days ago, and uh, I didn't flip the breaker. I thought I did, but I didn't. That was one of those moments where I went, man, that was dumb. Yeah. Because that hurt. I was going to say, was that, was that before or after the ouchie? 
That was that was <laughs> after the algae. My and my tone, man. My tone. As a hard thing to tame. Our thing. I concur. But thank goodness for our savior. And the ability to uh I mean I grew up knowing that I had a savior, I had an advocate, and I don't know, just something didn't sink in and until this past year. Learn what it means to to acknowledge and accept that, to use it. But you always believed in doing right, though, didn't you? Yeah, I just uh, irresponsible living was was part of the uh, the grace on the grace preaching that I was hearing. Mm-hmm. That it was. I mean, it's everything will be all right because because of grace, you know. And there was not any conviction or, but yeah, I mean, I was always like, I like to help people and I like to, you know, work hard and do all the things, but I, you know, drank too much and did all those things that didn't bring me any closer to the truth that I was seeking. Yeah. Irresponsible living in general. Yeah. I think all the time you get convicted over time. Mm-hmm. What you got, Dustin? Um. Second Samuel six. Second Samuel six, one through fifteen. Says David again assembled all the choice men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal Judah. The ark is called by the name, the name of Yahweh of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of fir, wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nekon's threshing floor, 
Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named that place an outburst against Uzzah, as it is today. David feared the Lord that, that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to move the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obedinum, Obedinum, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obedinum and his whole family. It was reported to King David, the Lord has blessed Obedidom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and had the ark of God brought up from Obedidom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a, an ox and a fattened calf. David was, was dancing with all his might before the Lord wearing a linen ephod. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the shouts or and the sound of the ram's horn. They remind me of the Indian tribes a lot, man. They acted. Maybe so. Maybe so. <laughs> David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. Like they're here bringing this thing in, dancing. Huh? Where was Obedidon? Is that his name? Obedidon. Where was he from? He's a Gittite. And where is Git? Who's a Gittite? I mean, where are they from? <laughs> Not Israel. <laughs> I'm not sure. Hang on, let me see if I can figure it out. I'll have to look that up. So I watched some of the um, like the like Indian tribes, how they uh they reenact stuff their ancestors, and some of the stuff they show. They have some of the similarities of like the way David was. Like they do a lot of like the one thing that they do is like um, the part where David killed could have killed Saul. And he didn't. They just basically got a piece of his uh, was a piece of piece of his clothing or something like that. That's something that the tribes would do. That's pretty cool. Uh-huh. Are you talking about African tribes or like American Indian tribes American. or? I think some of the American Indian tribes might have been um, toward like following God's commandments and, you know, believers. So then how did they get that information? What do you mean? Where oh, did I think that there, I think that um, a lot of this stuff wasn't just, I think it was spread throughout the world at one point. I think because you have the, uh, the tablets over there near you, Dustin, or the um, the Ten Commandments written, Paleo Hebrew, heaven in Mexico. They have like ancient like artifacts. 
So Joseph Smith was right then. So this this is interesting. (laughs) No, Joseph Smith was a liar. Um, I'm kidding. Second Samuel 21. All right, first of all, I'm going to point out that the notes say uh, Gittite probably does not designate someone from Gath. That's interesting. It gives a reference to First Samuel 17 and 2, where it says the champion named Goliath from Gath. And then on Second Samuel 21, uh, 19 it says uh, once again battle Philistines at Gob and Elhanan son of and Jeragob how would you say that <laughs> Jeragob I don't know killed Goliath the Gittite so Stay in second Samuel eight. We'll read seven through eleven. Says David took the gold shields of (laughs) Hadadezer, Hadadezer's. Some of these words, man. Hadadezer's officers and brought them to Jerusalem. King David also took huge quantities of bronze from Beta and Beruthai Hadadezer's <laughs> cities. When, when King Toi, Toi of Hamath heard that David had defeated the entire army of Hadadezer, he sent his son Joram to King David to greet him and to congratulate him because David had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. Bertoi and Hadadezer had fought many wars. Joram had items of silver, gold, and bronze with him. King David also dedicated these to the Lord, along with the silver and gold he had dedicated from all the nations he had subdued. And that kind of went along with First Kings. In this next passage... Goes along with this whole thing. We're going to Zechariah. Zechariah 14. If you've never read Zechariah 14, I highly encourage you to read it.
I'm definitely going to start putting freaking bookmarks <laughs> before I start. Good Lord. I All can right. make some. <laughs> All right. Zechariah 14. It took longer than it needed to. I'll give you his address. I'm Verse on it. 20 and, and 21. It's the on that day, the words, holy to the Lord, will be on the bells of the horses. The pots in the house of the Lord will be like the sprinkling basins before the altar. Every pot in Jerusalem and in Judah will be holy to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices will come and take some of the pots to cook in. And on that day, there will no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. I just got to remember that it's right before Malachi. Malachi. Now we're going back to Isaiah, Isaiah. see? Isaiah 33. Let's see. Mm, My favorite the note here says that Canaanite means merchant or or merchant. I bet that's what they're getting at right there. Babylon, Babylon, that great city has fallen. The merchants were weeping. Yep. Reminds me of Messiah. The moral story. Anybody else get that? What'd you say? Said it, it reminds me of Messiah throwing people out of the temple. Mm. Interesting. Never thought of it that way. He was cleaning the Babylon out of the temple. Mm-hmm. It says, my notes say Canaanite was a pejorative term since the Israelites considered the Canaanites vile and morally reprehensible. But the Israelites had become Canaanites by their disobedience. The announcement that there would be no Canaanite in the temple signified the purity of God's chosen people. I mean, Jesus would have been fighting a lot of, you know, uh, Babylon because he was, you know, at odds with the Pharisees who we're pushing the Talmud, you know, all of it was a fight against what had come out of Babylon. They were, they were not pushing the Talmud. Yeah. So the Talmud wasn't really constructed at the time. It would have been what they were pushing at is oral Torah, which eventually ended up became, that's what ultimately became. Uh, okay. Talmud. I'm sorry, but, but the oral Torah, a lot of it 
was derived from their time in Babylon. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Right. Like the sages That's- and all that. Sorry. You're good. To show you. Because the Talmud was constructed, I think, was it 300 AD? Yeah. I'm, I meant the there. ideology, Micah. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, the oral law was definitely what they were pushing and the writings of the sages and stuff like that. Yes. They were a bunch of poopy heads. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Isaiah 33, 16 through 22. It says, He will dwell. I'm going to start in 15. The one who lives righteously and speaks rightly, who refuses gain from extortion, whose hand never takes a bribe, who stops his ears from listening to murderous plots and shuts his eyes to avoid avoid endorsing evil. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the rocky fortresses. His food provided, his water assured. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. You will see a vast land. Your mind will meditate on the past terror. Where is the accountant? Where is the tribute collector? Where is the one who spied out our defenses? You will no longer see the barbarians, a people whose speech is difficult to comprehend, who stammer in a language that is not understood. Look at Zion, the city of our festival times. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, a peaceful pasture, a tent that does not wonder. Its tent pegs will not be pulled up, nor will any of its cords be loosened. For the majestic one, our Lord, will be there, a place of rivers and broad streams where ships that are rowed will not go, and majestic vessels will not pass. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. The ropes are slack. They cannot hold the base of the mass or spread out the flag. Then abundant spoil will be divided. The lame will plunder it. And none there will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven of their iniquity. Hmm. Interesting. Almost like they, uh, all had sin. That they were forgiven of. Where are we going? New Testament. Yeah. Yahoo. Got Matthew twelve, one through fourteen. <clears throat> oh, the Pharisees are going to tie it in now. You know what's funny? Huh. Uh, I got this This particular... I always base the Torah portions off of First Fruits of Zion and then uh, 
I'll add other things to it. Um, they skip verse 14. You go and you can look this up right now. You can Google it. It stops at 13. Really? That was interesting. <laughs> oh, interesting that they had just you just went one passage up <laughs> talking about the mercy and Isaiah. How they left that out. That and then uh, was it? Was it? I think it was Isaiah nine. It was a few few steps ago when we was reading. I had it stopped short too. Yeah. I started paying attention, but we're going to read chapter 12. Then we're going to go back to uh, 1 Samuel. And then we'll go to 2 Corinthians. And you'll see why. But <laughs> it says, um, at that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the grain or heads of grain. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, haven't you read what David did when he was when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the sacred bread, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on the Sabbath day, the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? But I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a paralyzed hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But he asked them, or he said to them, what man among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A man is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was restored as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. That last part's what they left out. Yep. You ain't got to turn there, but we're going to read First Samuel 21, 3 through 6, because it says, I'll start in one. It says, David went to Ahimelech, the priest at Nob, Ahimelech, was afraid to meet David, so he said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? David answered Ahimelech, the priest. The king gave me a mission, but he told me, Don't let anyone know anything about the mission I'm sending you on or what I have ordered you to do. I have stationed my young men at a certain place. Now what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. The priest told him, There is no ordinary bread on hand. However, there is consecrated bread, but the young men may eat it only if they have kept themselves from women. David answered him, I swear that women are being kept from us, as always when I go out to battle. The young men's bodies are consecrated even on an ordinary mission, 
So, of course, their bodies are consecrated today. So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, for, the, for there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had been removed from the presence of the Lord. When the bread was removed, it had been replaced with warm bread. That's where, that's where Messiah got that. I figured I'd include it. Second Corinthians five, one through ten. And it says, For we know that if our temporary earthly dwelling is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this body, desiring to put on our dwelling from heaven, since when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we must or we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. Nicely ended a portion. 